We're coming up on the end of spring semester here in sunny Tucson, and that means it's time to begin sticking forks in things. Whether we're ready or not, for many of us, students especially, maybe a new phase of life is about to begin. That's both exciting and scary. And you may be thinking, well, I'm done with doing X, or I'll never have to do Y again. And on the surface, that may be true for some things, but one thing that is assuredly not true is that you won't need to keep improving. And there are lots of ways to improve, of course, but one of the most effective, if nerve-wracking ways, is critical self-reflection. So today, let's get critical. I'm Dr. Ryan Strait, Assistant Professor of Educational Technology at the University of Arizona, and this is The New Professor. Figuring out just how to do it better, how to be better, how not to let those doubts and that guilt eat away at you slowly with the dull, underlying anxiety that you've been disappointing someone you respect. No? Just me? Okay. I'm kidding. Today's episode is not about pointing out where you've failed, but discussing some ways in which you can move past that and, again, doing and being better. So generally speaking, why is self-reflection good? To quote the Open University, reflecting helps you develop your skills and review their effectiveness, rather than just carry on doing things like you always have done them. It is about questioning, in a positive way, what you do and why you do it, and then deciding whether there is a better or more efficient way of doing it in the future. Nobody likes wasting time on inefficiency after all, right? Essentially, Self-reflection, if practiced faithfully and honestly, can serve to A, make you a better leveled-up person, and B, build resilience and quote-unquote grit to better help you deal with setbacks later. And, oh boy, don't we all need that. One place where self-reflection is associated with success, often, is leadership. Jennifer Porter has some thoughts on it in her Harvard Business Review article, from 2017. Quote, At its simplest, reflection is about careful thought. But the kind of reflection that is really valuable to leaders is more nuanced than that. The most useful reflection involves the conscious consideration and analysis of beliefs and actions for the purpose of learning. Reflection gives the brain an opportunity to pause amidst the chaos, untangle and sort through observations and experiences, consider multiple possible interpretations, and then create meaning. This meaning becomes learning, which can then inform future mindsets and actions. For leaders, this, quote, meaning-making is crucial to their ongoing growth and development. 
She goes on to cite research that found call center employees that reflect for 15 minutes at the end of the day performed 23% better than those who didn't. And the link to the source and everything in the show notes. So if we knew this is good for us, why don't we do it? And she goes on to identify five big reasons that extend well beyond leadership. And I can say I'm guilty of at least two of these. First, they don't understand the process. Remember, self-reflection isn't something that necessarily comes naturally. It's a skill you have to learn and hone. Second, they don't like the process. It's hard. It's uncomfortable. Who likes thinking about how they messed up or let someone down? Right? Nobody. Third, they don't like the results. Again, staring at your perceived failures right in the face can have what's called the backfire effect. And you can begin thinking that it's not actually anything you did, but maybe your work wasn't received well or properly, or even understood the right way. Fourth, they have a bias towards action. And sometimes doing something feels better than doing nothing, even if staying the course is actually the best thing, ultimately. And finally, they just don't see the value. So what, you write it down in a journal and you've had to think for 15 minutes about how badly you performed, and then you put the journal away, and what's the point? Obviously, all these concerns are more excuses than reasons for not engaging in self-reflection, but still the case. All right, so if we know why we should do this, generally speaking, how about some specific examples or tools to help you actually get the thing done? Anybody? Okay, I'll start. First, I'm really bad at this. I want to improve. On the rare occasion I do it really well, it's tended to be because of some sort of systematic routine. Heck, it even turns out that this little podcasty thing is part self-reflection, which is handy. But one specific tool that I liked, but eventually kind of let the habit fall away, is what's called the self-journal. You can purchase a bound version of the self-journal from the website, or just download the pages in a PDF form and kind of DIY it. There's even an academic version for students, which I tried to massage into something useful for me as a professor, but I found that I was making the reforming of the journal more the point than actually using it, which is unfortunate, but totally my fault. Basically, it's a daily, weekly, monthly tracker and journal with specific prompts to help you methodically keep track of your goals and status. I really like it. I just couldn't keep up with it. And again, my failure, nothing to do with the product. The other one that I tend to move in and out of uh, pretty frequently, I've actually talked about on the pod before, 750words.com, 750words.com. I use it for daily planning and reflection, among other things, like just general writing and, and journaling, but it's useful, and it's daily, and that's a routine, and that's the key. And links to both the self-journal and the 750 words website in the show notes. But what about other people, right? There's more people than just me that do self-reflection or should do self-reflection. So I asked the interwebs and I got some great responses. Friend and fellow squad member Jess Knott turned me on to the sailboat exercise. 
Essentially, an illustration of this in the show notes, self-reflection is like drawing a sailboat in the water. See, that's exactly what it says on the tin. The wind behind you is that which helps you reach your goals. The anchor under the water is what's holding you back. The jagged rocks are the risks that you need to avoid, and the shore is the goal. Identify all those things, and hey presto, there's your self-reflection. Plus, you get to draw a boat. Rolando Mendez said uh, he asked himself questions like, how can I improve this? How can I make it better? How do others perceive my work? How could others approach what I do? And Margie Thomas said something very similar as more of a epistemic exercise. She says, when I have a question I wish I could get advice or guidance on from specific experts I don't have access to, I free write what I imagine each one of them would say to me. This works if you've read or heard enough of their work, but it's amazing what inner wisdom comes out this way. Autumn, with two M's, Keynes, and Terry Green both go with blogging as a means of self-reflection, regardless, they say, of how popular the platform may be in 2019. And I say hurrah to that. Do what works for you, regardless of convention. And Tina Rettler-Pagel, who you might remember from the previous OLC Innovate episode, likes to use daily motivators as a scaffold for her reflection, saying, I have found I often get a message I am most meant to hear at the time, which is likely my own self telling me that it's time to deal with something or that I'm finally ready to deal with it. Who knows? In any case, it forces me, in a good way, to reflect, mediate, and oftentimes finally act on something that is long overdue. And that's great advice, all of it. The hardest part about all of this? Facing your perceived failures. But self-reflection isn't only useful to look back and see where you messed up. In my opinion, it's actually more useful to look at what you did that really, really worked, that you did really, really well and identify the ways that make that magic and apply it to the other areas that need a little bit more love. This is really a solo venture. Much of what we've talked about today works in broad strokes. They're either general enough to apply to the, quote, average person, or specific enough that they work for one person and might work for you too. So you have to work out your own methodology for this stuff. Trial and error. Self-reflect on your self-reflection. Enjoy the tumble down that rabbit hole. And remember, being aware of areas of improvement and being honest about them makes you much, much better at what you do, regardless of what you're doing. Now, truly believing that you deserve to do what you're doing and be where you are that, that's another show. Once again, thank you for listening to this little podcasty thing of mine. If you found it entertaining or informative or useful or in any way good, 
please do subscribe and rate it on the podcatcher of your choice, whether that's iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or however you listen. And as usual, I'd love to hear from you. You can find me on Twitter at NewProfCast, while show notes, transcripts, and more can be found on the website, thenewprofessor.com. And I should say, next episode marks episode 40. It also marks the end of this season as the school year comes to a close. So the pod will be taking a little hiatus over the summer and return in August. So see you next time, and then see you a few months later after that. Take care.